What's up everybody, PNX Dividend Investor here. In this video I'm going to talk about yield on cost, which is a somewhat controversial metric amongst dividend investors. I also created two free useful spreadsheets that I'll be reviewing that anyone can make a copy of and that are in the description of this video. So unless you're certifiably insane, then please hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click that bell notification. I'm going to cover some foundational stuff I recommend you watch before I get to yield on cost, but feel free to jump ahead if you're impatient. Now, there are lots of strategies dividend investors utilize. Some are focused on their income above all else. Some focus on both total returns and on income. Some people have strategies to first focus on growing their total portfolio value and then plan to move into stocks that generate the most income as they near retirement. Some people prefer higher yielding stocks that have lower dividend CAGRs, while others prefer lower yielding stocks that have higher CAGRs. Some like to drip and others like to reinvest manually. We have lump summers and we have dollar cost averagers. Personally, I'm building a portfolio with an eye towards generational wealth, so how I invest might be different than someone who doesn't care about others inheriting their assets. Some dividend investors are more active in buying and selling stocks, constantly shifting into and out of positions as it makes sense to them. Others buy and hold and hardly ever sell. Some people like closed-end funds and some prefer single stocks and there are tons of other combinations of dividend investing approaches. There is no perfect way to invest and there are lots of ways you can achieve success, so my two cents for you is to adopt strategies that make sense for your needs, goals, and risk tolerances. And just like there are different dividend investing strategies, there are also different metrics people like to use to measure their progress as they achieve their investing goals. Yield on cost is one metric that some dividend investors like to use to measure their success. I'm someone who likes to utilize total portfolio value along with annual dividend income as ways to measure my progress. If I only cared about cash flow, then I could sell all my dividend stocks and go all in on QILD or something and make over 300k a year in dividends. But I'm also risk averse and I like the financial flexibility that a liquid portfolio enables and if my dividends couldn't pay my bills and I wanted to remain retired on dividends, then I'd sell some of my lower yielding positions and then I'd move into higher yield ones so I could remain financially free. So let's talk about yield on cost, which is a measure of dividend yield calculated by dividing a stock's current dividend per share per year by cost basis per share. So it's basically a way to measure how your dividend income has grown over time. A yield on cost that is going up often means a company is consistently increasing their dividends, which also usually means they have a good performance track record. A famous example of someone with a huge yield on cost is Warren Buffett with his Coke shares. In his 2010 shareholder letter, Buffett said, Coca-Cola paid us $88 million in dividends in 1995, the year after we finished purchasing the stock. Every year since, Coke has increased its dividend. In 2011, we will almost certainly receive $376 million from Coke, up $24 million from last year. Within 10 years, I would expect that $376 million to double. By the end of that period, I wouldn't be surprised to see our share of Coke's annual earnings exceed 100% of what we paid for the investment. And Buffett ended that part of his letter by saying, Time is the friend of the wonderful business. Okay, so Berkshire has 400 million shares of Coca-Cola today. It split twice since he bought them, which means he had around 100 million shares in 1994, at an average cost basis per share of $3.25, or an overall cost basis of $1.3 billion, since total cost basis is just your number of shares times your cost basis per share. Note, Buffett hasn't sold a single share of Coke in the 30-ish years he's owned them. Let's calculate how much dividends that Berkshire gets from Coke these days. So Coke pays $1.76 per share per year, and Berkshire has 400 million shares of it, which means they should make $740 million a year in dividends. Amazing. He went from $88 million to $740 million without buying any new shares. 
That's almost a 10x increase in dividend income over that time. I gotta admit, I'm pretty happy to make $2,932.16 of Coke dividends every year, and I love Diet Coke on top of it. Buffett clearly knows about the power of compounding dividends, and his yield on cost is $1.76 per share per year, divided by his cost basis per share of $3.25, which equals 54%. Awesome. I'll share some other ways people calculate yield on cost later in the video, and we'll explain some reasons why there's a diverse set of opinions on how useful the metric is. I mean, some people get pretty worked up when they talk about yield on cost. In my opinion, you probably should try to avoid loving or hating a metric. I mean, a metric is just information. It's just a tool. Sometimes I'm just a tool. Of course, you could use the wrong tool for a job, or you could use the right tool incorrectly. But in the end, it's just a tool. And before I dive into the nuances of yield on cost, let's first make sure you understand about dividend yield, which is just a financial ratio that estimates how much a company pays out in dividends in a year relative to its stock price. Thus, the formula for dividend yield is dividends paid out per share per year divided by current share price. A common mistake that new dividend investors often make is to just look at the highest yield investments and then buy them without doing significantly more research into what they are investing in. Unfortunately, higher yield doesn't mean it will be a long-term higher yielding investment. But high yield doesn't automatically mean it's a bad investment either, though the higher things get the more you should be aware of the risks and why it's so high. Anyways, dividend yield is just another tool which helps paint the picture about a company. One thing I like to do is to see how a company's yield has trended over time, and if it's way above or below its average yield, then I like to understand why. Certain sectors and industries tend to have higher yields, like REITs and MLPs and BDCs and utilities and SIN stocks and such, and there are trade-offs and reasons for getting the higher yield. Like perhaps they're riskier, or are considered to be more controversial companies, or have lower growth associated with them, or have more tax issues to be aware of that could lower their effective yield, or whatever. And there are two main ways that a stock's dividend yield can go up. The first is if a company's board of directors votes to increase how much dividends they pay out, which often happens annually. The other way yield goes up is if a company's stock price goes down as its dividend remains at the same. That means that it's actually possible for a company to increase their dividend, but still have a lower yield than they previously had. If the stock price had appreciated more, on a percentage basis, than the dividend increase percentage that they just did. For example, let's say a company's stock is at $100 and they pay out $3 in dividends a year, aka they have a 3% dividend yield. If they increase their dividend by a dollar a year to $4 per share per year, but around that same time their stock price had doubled to $200, then their new yield, even after increasing their dividend, would only be 2%, aka $4 in dividends per share per year, divided by a $200 stock price. And just like there are two ways a stock's dividend yield can go up, there are two main ways dividend yields can go down, which include when a company lowers their dividend or if the stock price goes up relative to the dividend. As stock prices go up and down throughout the trading day, you'll see yields that constantly go up and down as well. And remember, yield just represents the estimated amount of dividends you should get in the next year, assuming no dividend changes happen. That's why dividend yield goes up as the share price goes down, and as it goes down you can obviously buy more shares and thus yield more. One concept that is sometimes confusing to newer dividend investors is how a stock's changing dividend yield due to daily price fluctuations might impact the dividend payout from the shares that they already bought. The answer is it doesn't. The only way that the amount of dividends that you should be getting paid changes is if the company votes to change their payout. One caveat to this can be if you own stocks from other countries. For example, I'm long BTI, which is a British company, and my dividend payout fluctuates from quarter to quarter due to currency changes between the British pound and the dollar. 
The other thing to be aware of when you invest in international companies is that they might have country withholding taxes that lower your dividend payout, which you should be able to claw back if you file your taxes appropriately. Fortunately, the U.S. has a tax treaty with England such that they don't withhold any dividend tax on Americans. Okay, another way your dividend payout could fluctuate is if a company pays out dividends based on a percentage of their earnings. But generally speaking, dividends keep flowing in even when the market is crashing, which is one of the things that is so awesome about dividends, i.e. that you keep getting paid the same amount of dividends even if the market is falling. Markets are stocks and crash for a variety of reasons, but basically when there's a lot more sellers of stock than there are buyers. That can happen for a bunch of reasons, but it's usually due to bad news coming out. Like look at Exxon. In March of 2020, Exxon got two pieces of news which caused its stock to fall. First was a Saudi Arabia-initiated oil price war with Russia, triggered by a breakup in dialogue between OPEC and Russia over proposed oil production cuts, and second there was the pandemic, which meant less oil would be needed as travel and the movement of goods slowed down. Those two news headlines caused oil prices to fall like a rock. Before it fell, Exxon was around $70 a share in January of 2020. Its dividend was $0.87 cents per share per quarter, which means it paid out $3.48 per share per year, and thus Exxon's dividend yield was $3.48 divided by $70 a share, which is 4.97%. So let's pretend you didn't have any Exxon shares and you wanted to start a position. You decided to buy 10 shares of XOM at $70 a share, and those 10 shares were called your first tranche in that stock. Your cost basis would be 10 shares times $70 per share, which equals $700, and your cost basis per share would be $70. With 10 shares, you'd be getting 10 times 87 cents a share per quarter, which equals $8.70 a quarter in dividends, which is equal to $34.80 a year in dividends. But then all that bad oil news came out, and Exxon fell down to around $32 a share. I remember at that time someone on my Discord predicted that oil would never go above $40 a barrel again. Let's see if they were right. Here are the prices for a barrel of crude over time. You can see how in 2020, oil fell down to 15 bucks a barrel. But at the end of 2020, it was back up to $44 a barrel, and then in 2021, it hit $78 a barrel, and now in 2022, it hit over 100 bucks a barrel. That's about a 15x increase in just two years. Unbelievable, and again, it shows you how you can't always predict the future. Anyways, Exxon didn't cut their dividend like some oil companies did, which meant that when their stock price was $32, their yield was $3.48 divided by $32, which was 10.9%. If we look at Exxon's dividend yield history, we see it actually hit over 11% at its absolute lowest stock price. Nice. That was obviously an ideal time to be buying Exxon, hindsight speaking, and if you were a contrarian investor, you probably did. But very few people have the stones or insights to buy at times when the majority of people are selling. Sometimes a dramatically falling stock price could mean the business is in real trouble. Other times it could simply mean the whole market is falling or that people are overreacting to the news. Whatever the reason for the drop, history shows us that good companies tend to recover, especially those with long histories like Exxon, who have weathered tough financial storms time and time again. But companies don't always recover, which is why investing has some element of risk associated with it. Okay, now let's pretend you bought a second tranche of 10 shares of Exxon when it fell to 32 bucks a share. That means you'd have 20 shares total, and your cost basis would be $700 from your first tranche, plus $320 from your second tranche, which equals $1,000.20 altogether. And so your cost basis per share would be $1,020 divided by 20 shares, which equals $51 per share. The yield when you bought your first tranche of shares was 4.97%, and the yield when you bought your second tranche of shares was 10.9%. 
Okay, now that we have a handle on yield, let's talk about the more nuanced yield on cost, which is a measure of dividend yield calculated by dividing a stock's current dividend per share per year by the price you initially paid for the stock. Or more accurately, it's the amount of dividends per share per year divided by your cost basis per share. If a company hikes its dividend, then your yield on cost goes up. If they do cuts, your yield on cost goes down. And if you acquire shares at prices that are more expensive than your average buy price, then your yield on cost trends down. And if you buy shares at cheaper prices than your average price, then your yield on cost trends up. So in the example I just shared about Exxon, your yield on cost for all your shares would be your current dividend of $3.48 divided by your cost basis per share of $51, which thus equals 6.82%. A common mistake that some people might make is to think that their overall yield on cost is just the average of their two tranches, i.e. of 4.9% and 10.9%, which would be 7.935%, something they'd think you can do since you bought 10 shares each time. But you can't do that, and the overall yield on cost is actually 6.82%, not 7.935%. The way you add up averages matter. Google harmonic means if you're bored. Okay, now Exxon recently did a small dividend hike of one penny per share per quarter, aka 88 cents per share per quarter, which is $3.52 per share per year. Your overall yield on cost for all your shares would go from 6.82% to 6.9%. As you'd expect, a small dividend hike turned into a small increase to your yield on cost. So a logical question to ask at this point is what happens to yield on cost when you get dividends? Well, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, aka FINRA, says that you're supposed to increase your cost basis when you get dividends. Specifically, they say, for stocks or bonds, the cost basis is generally the price you paid to purchase the securities, including purchases made by reinvestment of dividends or capital gains distributions, plus other costs such as the commission or other fees you have paid to complete the transaction. What that means is that as you get dividends, then your cost basis goes up. Now, whether your cost basis per share changes would depend on if your newly acquired shares were at a price above or below your previous cost basis per share. I mean, if the stock price when you got the dividend was cheaper than your average cost basis per share, then your yield on cost would go up. But if the stock price when you got the dividend was more expensive than your average cost basis per share, then that would cause your cost basis per share to go up a bit, which in turn means your yield on cost percentage would go down a bit. But some dividend investors don't like to count getting dividends as additive to their cost basis because they count dividends as free money, in the sense that they came in without adding your own out-of-pocket cash to acquire them. Thus, some dividend investors view yield on cost more like yield on how much out-of-pocket money they contributed, and so they might calculate yield on cost differently. Real estate also has a yield on cost formula, which they call development yield, which is used to let investors assess real estate based on its cost and potential return. Their formula for yield on cost is net operating income divided by total project cost, which is basically like dividend income divided by total amount of capital that has been put into it. Some people have come up with some new names and formulas for yield on cost variance, including terms like yield on out-of-pocket capital, yield on personally invested capital, yield on compounded dividends, and a bunch of others. Some folks like the term yield on originally invested capital, but my concern with that name is that it seems to be talking about the yield on your first tranche, rather than counting all your potential tranches. And actually, some people just use their first tranche when they talk about their yield on cost. Your first tranche is usually your highest percentage yield on cost, since over time stock prices tend to go up and dividends tend to go up. The problem with only using your first tranche is that it often isn't representative of all the shares you acquired over history. For example, let's say in 2005 I bought 100 shares of Coke when Coke was $20 a share. Coke paid a dividend of $0.64 cents per share per year back then. Today Coke pays out $1.76 per share per year. So if that original purchase was your only purchase, then your yield on cost would be $1.76 divided by 20, which equals 
But now let's say in June of 2022, you buy a thousand additional shares of Coke at $64 a share. That means your cost basis per share is now $2,000 plus $64,000 equals $66,000 divided by 1,100 total shares, which equals $60 per share. And thus your overall yield on cost would be 2.93%. So if I only told you that my original tranche's yield on cost was 8.8%, well, that sounds pretty spiffy, but what tells you more is what your overall yield on cost is, which in this case is only 2.93%, since you did the majority of your buys at a higher stock price. That's why your first tranche's yield on cost is usually good for bragging, but it's not so useful for understanding what your overall yield on cost is for all your tranches. And again, you might be someone who uses the definition of yield on cost based on your first buy only, which I don't think makes the most sense. Okay, now let's look at how getting dividends changes things, continuing the Coke example. 100 shares of Coke in 2005 would yield me $64 in dividends that first year, and let's say I was dripping them, and we'll pretend that Coke hiked their dividends 5% per year. So the cost basis of my first tranche was $2,000, and then each dividend payout effectively is another tranche. So from 2005 to 2022 is 18 years of dividend payments, which would be around $1,801 of dividends, which means your cost basis would have gone from $2,000 to $3,801, and since Coke's stock price gradually has increased over that time, your cost basis per share gradually goes up, which lessens the impact of the fact that Coke's dividend was also going up in that time. Again, some people don't think it makes sense to count your dividends as potentially increasing your cost basis, so some don't add them in. Other folks subtract dividends from their capital invested, kind of like return on capital, because they feel the dividends are lowering their cost basis, which also kind of makes sense. Thus, it's kind of like a capital cost basis or something. Or maybe it's a net cost basis or an adjusted dividend cost basis. I mean, it could make sense to have your dividend payments reduce your capital invested, kind of like with options you might subtract your premiums from your cost basis. Anyways, I put together a really interesting spreadsheet that will show you some insightful data points. It represents someone who is buying multiple tranches of stock over time and that was reinvesting dividends, and I show multiple yield on cost calculations so you can visually see how things play out. Note, I could get more precise by modeling reinvesting dividends quarterly, and I could include inflation's impact and blah blah blah, but this is just a high level exercise. So the first column represents where we are in time, so starting with the year one. The next column is what our example stock price is, so I picked $100 and assumed it would increase 8% each year. Then I have a column to represent how many shares I bought at that point in time. So here you can see I bought 10 shares at year 1 and then didn't buy again until year 10 when I bought another 10 shares and finally in year 15 I bought 100 more shares. Then I have shares own, which is a running total. So at this point I still have 10 shares, but you'll see that since I'm dripping my shares, my shares own will go up in years even when I'm not buying shares. Then I have three columns for different ways people like to calculate cost basis, even though I think the correct way is adding in dividends. So I have a column for cost basis from buying shares and nothing else, and then I have a cost basis column for adding your dividends in, which I think is correct. And then I have a cost basis column if you subtract any dividends you got from the buying shares cost basis. Then I have three columns that are the cost basis per share for each of those three calculations of cost basis. Then I have a column for how much dividends per share per year this example stock was paying out, and I said that started at $5. Then we calculate the yield, which starts at 5%. Then we calculate the dividends per year that are paid out, and we see that for our 10 shares we would get $50 in dividends. Then I assume the stock grows at a dividend compound annual growth rate of 7%, which was an arbitrary percentage I picked. Then I show how many shares we buy in the drip, and in this case our $50 of dividend buys us half a share. Okay, then I have four yield on cost columns. The first one is using the normal definition of yield on costs, where the formula is the stock's current dividend per share per year divided by the cost basis per share. I highlighted this column in green as the base case. 
So you can see how the yield on cost starts at 5%, and then as those 7% dividend hikes happen each year, the yield on cost keeps going up. So it goes up to 5.35%, then 5.7%, then 6.06%, and it keeps trending up until year 9 where we see it's at 7.74%. But then we see that it drops in year 10 down to 6.2%. Why is that? Well, because in year 10 we bought 10 more shares, and since the stock price had been going up 8% a year for the previous decade, our new tranche of buys is more expensive than our original tranche, and so our cost basis per share has gone up, which is why it lowered our overall yield on cost at that point in time. Then as time goes on, we see that yield on cost trends up again until we get to year 15 and do that big buy of 100 more shares, and again we see our yield on cost falls from 7.49% to 4.9%. Okay, now let's look at another yield on cost calculation, one which only looks at your initial tranche. What we see here is we start at 5% and then it goes up, 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 because now it ignores the fact that you are buying more expensive shares in later years. Okay, our next yield on cost column again uses cost basis per share like is highlighted in green, but now it's not adding in dividends to your cost basis. Here we see a similar trend like the original yield on cost column, only the yield on cost percentage changes are more volatile. So we go up faster and we go down faster. The next yield on cost column actually subtracts dividends from cost basis. Now we see yield on cost growing even faster than the previous one, as you'd probably expect. The final column is for people who prefer just to use the original tranche and believe in subtracting dividends from their cost basis, so this one will have the highest yield on cost percentages. I included a free link to this yield on cost example spreadsheet in the description of this video so that you can have your own private copy of it. All you do is have a Google account, then click on my spreadsheet link, and then go up to the file menu and select make a copy, and then you'll have a copy of this spreadsheet on your private Google Drive, so you can click on the cells and see the formulas, and so you can change values like the CAGR, or how much the stock price goes up each year, or whatever. Tell me if you find any mistakes and I'll update my description of the video to inform others about that. One question I've gotten before is if you should sell your shares and then rebuy them when the stock price is cheaper than your average price, so you can try to get a better yield on cost. No, I would never sell and then rebuy to try to arbitrarily improve a metric. I did an entire video on when odd sell shares that I recommend you watch if you're new to investing. Generally speaking, I only recommend to sell if you needed the money, or if you think that you have better opportunities investing in something else when you take everything into consideration. Okay, now let's move into another interesting spreadsheet I made. I did this one early last year, and it lists various stocks and their current yield and five-year dividend CAGRs as the time I made that spreadsheet though the stock prices are as of when I made this video, and then I extrapolated what those stocks' dividends would be at various points in the future, assuming their dividend growth held. Then I estimated what their yield on cost would be at years 10, 15, 20, 30, and 40. Obviously, the further you go out into the future, the less likely the estimates are to be accurate, and of course, you need to feel confident that the company you are modeling can continue to grow as you guesstimate. I highlighted things in yellow if it was in the mid-range of results, or green if it was at the higher end of things. Kind of like yellow means okay, green means good, and no highlighting means not so hot. This spreadsheet gives me an at-a-glance visual view of the relationship between current yield and CAGR to see at what points in the future certain stocks would have certain percentage returns, so to speak. Like I can look at Duke and see that its yield was at 3.69% at the time I made the spreadsheet, which was a decent starting yield relative to others in the list, but low for Duke's average yield over time. I can also see that even though Duke started with a higher yield, that even after 40 years its yield on cost is crappy relative to others because its dividend CAGR is weak. Or like Home Depot had a lower starting yield, but then could quickly have a nice yield on cost in the future because its dividend growth was faster. Don't take this data as accurate as I just found this on my Google Drive and hadn't been using it recently, but I'm just showing you an example of something that you could do when you're analyzing things. 
Like you could create a table using data like this to show how many years it would take for a certain stock to achieve a certain yield on cost. Or maybe you could list how many years it would take for each stock to get to a 15% yield on cost. You could get more precise by adding an input parameter for additional contributions into a stock, or add in stuff for dividends being reinvested, or compensate for inflation, or whatever. It might be fun to create a spreadsheet that helps you estimate things based on your age and desired retirement goals, or maybe income goals. Like, maybe you could figure out what sort of starting dividend yield, dividend CAGRs, and yield on cost and such would be needed for you to achieve retirement in a set number of years. Like, maybe you figure out that you need 40k a year in post-tax dividends to cover your expenses. Then you can estimate how big of a portfolio you might need and how many years it would take to get to your goals based on various yields and growth rates, including reinvesting or not. Anyways, this spreadsheet on screen can show how important starting yield can be as well as dividend CAGR. Just recognize that these are estimates using historical data to try to forecast future results, which obviously won't guarantee things will happen like you're modeling. I mean, think of CAGR. CAGR is just looking back at the historical annualized growth rate of your dividends over a period of time. It doesn't guarantee what your forward dividend growth rate will be, but it's fun to estimate what it might be. Thus, don't do serious financial actions that need a metric to be true in the future or you'd be screwed. Like, I wouldn't look at a stock's CAGR, estimate where my dividend income will be in 10 years, and then get a mortgage based on needing that dividend to hit that CAGR or something. And that whole concept of backward-looking metrics leads into one of the big cons that people have about yield on cost, so let me now focus on the pros and cons of yield on cost. Let's be positive polys and start with the pros. One pro for certain people is that they feel that they can use yield on cost as a way to gauge how they've done as an investor. They see yield on cost as a reflection of how their investment strategies have performed over time. Another pro is that yield on cost acts as a nice summary data point for how dividend increases and such have played out, at least to some degree. Or it could mean that you're acquiring more shares at a different price relative to your cost basis per share. Some people say that yield on cost helps promote dividend growth investing and it helps teach about the power of compounding dividends. Some people feel that yield on cost can be a motivating aspect of their investing and can make them feel good. Like seeing that you're getting 10% on your investment often makes you feel better than if you're getting 3% at the current price. I think getting a little dopamine now and then from your investments can be a good thing as long as it's not causing you to make bad decisions. Another pro along the lines of what I already mentioned is that you can use your yield on cost metrics in your retirement planning estimating. Some folks like to use yield on cost to gauge things, like if their yield on cost of their portfolio has doubled but their expenses have only gone up 50%, then they could probably say that they're on the right track. Is it perfect? No. Does it have to be? Not necessarily. Okay, now let's be a negative Nelly and talk about some of the cons of yield on cost. The big one is that yield on cost is backward looking, and while it can help show that some investment decisions made in the past turned out well, it should have no bearing on investment decisions that you make today. The reality is that no historical metrics are a guarantee of future performance. But as long as you realize it's not a guarantee and you instead just use it for pragmatic estimating, then from that perspective I think it's fine. The thing is that yield on cost isn't telling us about a company's potential for future growth or whatever. But does that really matter? I mean, it's just one metric. It doesn't need to be the be-all end-all, does it? Isn't it enough just to get a broad sense if a stock's dividend has been rising or falling over time, generally speaking? Okay, another con that yield on cost dislikers bring up is the fact that it fails to consider your opportunity cost. Like, sometimes people say, I don't want to sell this stock because my yield on cost is too high, even though they could yield more by moving into another stock. Of course, there could be unrealized capital gains baked into a position they've held for a long time in a taxable account, thus that might be part of why they don't want to sell. But if you don't want to sell, then make sure it's not because of some emotion that's overly influencing you. I mean, like your vanity. There's a reason some people call yield on cost a vanity metric, which is obviously a pejorative. 
So the yield on cost naysayers will tell you that yield on cost is not a relevant or useful metric and can actually be detrimental if people use it to make poor investing decisions. Another con that some people point out is that yield on cost doesn't show stock appreciation very well. I mean, if you bought more shares or got dividends at various points in time, then your cost basis per share might go up, assuming the stock price is going up, and that in turn could drag down your yield on cost, depending on which yield on cost equation you like to use. A con to be careful of is if you think you can compare one stock's yield on cost to another stock's current dividend yield, which are two different things. Now, some people feel that yield on cost is a bit like the sunk cost fallacy, aka the Concord fallacy. What happened with the Concorde was that the UK and French governments mistakenly looked at their past expenses on the costly supersonic jet as a rationale for continuing the project, as opposed to cutting their losses. Let me read a quote. According to classical economics and standard microeconomic theory, only future costs are relevant to a rational decision. At any moment in time, the best thing to do depends only on current alternatives. The only things that matter are the future consequences. Past mistakes are irrelevant which is similar to what is called escalation of commitment, which, per wiki, is a human behavior pattern in which an individual or group facing increasingly negative outcomes from a decision, action, or investment nevertheless continues the behavior instead of altering their course. The actor maintains behaviors that are irrational, but align with previous decisions and actions. Economists and behavioral scientists use a related term, sunk cost fallacy, to describe the justification of increased investment of money or effort in a decision, based on the cumulative prior investment, aka sunk cost, despite new evidence suggesting that the future cost of continuing the behavior outweighs the expected benefit. In sociology, irrational escalation of commitment or commitment bias describes similar behaviors. The phenomenon and the sentiment underlying them are reflected in such proverbial images as throwing good money after bad, or in for a penny, in for a pound, or it's never the wrong time to make the right decision, or if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Anyways, another potential con to yield on cost is that it doesn't normally account for inflation rates since the stock was purchased, though this is something you could account for if you wanted. So yield on cost, good, bad, ugly? Do you think it has its uses or is it just an ego metric to make you feel happy about your returns? Leave me a comment telling me what you think about it. I'm personally a fan of more data rather than less, so I'd advocate for still tracking yield on cost, but I'd be careful not to use it to make decisions it's not meant to be used for. I'm careful not to draw too big of conclusions when I look at the yield on cost from one stock to another one, and there's a lot of nuance you need to consider. And definitely guard against using any single metric to tell you what makes a good investment. Whatever you think about yield on cost, the most important thing is for you to hit the thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, put me in your will, and click that bell notification. Also please share one of my videos with your mortal enemy, you never know you could become friends. Okay, now I'd like to shout out my newest Patreon aristocrats who have signed up since my last video. So thank you Fuzzy Null for signing up. Thank you Louis Jamal O'Neill. And thank you Noble Nectar. Aristocrats gain access to my dividend portfolio tracker spreadsheet, which I use in lots of my videos, and they get special access to various private channels on my Discord, including one which lets you watch my videos before I release them publicly on YouTube, as well as lets you vote on which thumbnails I should use, and you get more direct access to me. I have limited Patreon Aristocrat spots remaining because of the hands-on support I provide, so sign up now if you're interested. I'm currently sold out of my highest tier, the Patreon King tier, so no one else can sign up for it until an existing king is done. Finally, don't forget to join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has thousands of dividend investors on it from around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. I am not a financial advisor, and these videos are for entertainment, inspiration, and educational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I am only sharing my opinion with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.